between. I said, what? <laughs> Maybe not, okay? But I'm, I'm going to read a little bit extra scripture with this this morning. It being Father's Day, because the first part of the scripture really honors some valiant men. And you know, I believe, I believe as, as I think about this this morning, if, if it was in this setting today, I believe we've got men in this room today that would be some of David's mighty warriors. They would be some of David's mighty men. Some of, some even the first three or the second three, or at least in the 30, we would be in the 30. I, I really believe that. Why? Because of the way that we love God and the way we want to pursue Him and follow after Him. So in, in 2 Samuel chapter 23, we're going to begin reading in verse 8. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Josheb, Bashabeth, yeah. the Tachmanite. See, he didn't only have a long name. He come from a long name. Chief among the captains, he was called Adino the Esnite. Now, that's, Adino's a little bit easier to do than that first name, isn't it? But anyhow, because he had killed 800 men at one time. Now, You know, this is a tremendous thing because they didn't have bombs back in that day. They didn't have hand grenades. They didn't have something they could shoot. And and some Bible commentators said they believed that what he did, he he had an attachment of people with him, and all of them together killed 800. But I don't know. Don't say. uh, I just believe that because the power of God was with him, that somehow or another he went and killed 800 people in one battle. And, and uh, you say, well, that's impossible. Well, I'm going to tell you something else that's impossible to me. That's a little shepherd boy taking a stone and killing a nine-foot giant with it. Okay? So if you don't talk impossibilities, there's a whole lot of them in the Bible. But you know what makes the impossibilities in the Bible possibilities? God. He always makes impossibilities possible. So let me read on. And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Ahohite. Uh, wouldn't that be something? Can you imagine growing up in school? Who's your daddy, boy, Dodo? Boy, we'd have a lot of problem, wouldn't we? One of the three mighty men with David when he de- defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel had retreated. And he arose and attacked the, attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand stuck to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to plunder. In other words, everybody run off at one man, and when he got through killing all of these, everybody come back to get the plunder, the spoil they had out there, to get their weapons and their armor and, and all the riches. You know, I, I see that a lot of times today, that there's somebody that's willing to stand and fight against the devil, and then there's always others that's willing to move in and enjoy the blessing of that. I would rather be the one standing and fighting than the other one trying to hope maybe he can pick up a little crumb of blessing here and there. And after him was Shama. Now, Shama is my pick out of all of these people. For some reason, I just, I really like him. He's the son of A.G., the the Ahazirite. And the Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. So the people fled from the Philistines. But he stationed himself in the middle of the field, defended it, and killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory that day. The thing I like about Shama, and I've used this in a message before, as Shama said, I've left this pea patch my last time. I ain't leaving no more. 
I've been run out. These Philistines have come in and destroyed our pea patch, and I'm not going to leave it again. And I think about the, the, the tenacity that that man had to stand out there and defend that parcel of ground, that piece of ground from the Philistine army. Then three of the 30 chief men went down at harvest time and came to David at the cave of Adullam. And the troop of the Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephim. And David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistine was then in Bethlehem. And David said with longing, now here's, here's a verse I want you to get a hold of. And David said with longing, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of the water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. <laughs> Sorry about that. I know what's coming, and it just blesses me. <laughs> so the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. For he said, For far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is this not the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things were done by the three mighty men. And there in verse 15 is where my thought comes from. A drink of the water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. Father, we come to you just now. Lord, desiring that you be glorified in this time this morning. And I pray, Lord, you help us today, Father, the things that you've shown us about this this week. And I pray for new revelation to come forth. And I thank you, Lord, that you meet every need of this congregation, Father. Lord, you alone knew when you gave us this message who would be here today to hear it. And, Father, you want to minister to your people. So I pray today that each one's heart is touched, that we're encouraged, and, Lord, that we draw closer to You than we've ever been before, and that we rise up and go forth out of here because this morning we had a drink of the water that come from the well by the gate. And I give You glory and praise. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Wells of water have a great part in the history of the Bible. We read about wells in many times. Abraham dug many wells as he was traveling and going from different places. Not only did he build altars in places, but in places he dug wells also. Isaac dug wells. And, and some of the wells that Abraham had dug got filled up by the Philistines. Who else? And Isaac came in and... and Redug a lot of those same wells. But Isaac named his wells. And this is, this is interesting. Uh, Isaac had trouble with the Philistines. And in Genesis 26 and 20, uh, 19 and 20, he, uh, he dug a well. Isaac's servants dug a well in the valley and found a well of running water there. But the herdsmen of Gerir quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, said, The water is ours. So he called the name of that well Isaac's. Because they quarreled with him. Next time somebody starts quarreling, we just look at him and say, Esix. Esix. And then, in verse 21, then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that one also. So he called its name Sitna. Sitna means enmity. There was enmity. There was just always this problem going on. 
And then in verse 22 it says, And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it, so he called its name Rehoboth, because he said, From now the Lord, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. So he, he named these wells in, in verse 32. Uh, King Abimelech had come, and they had made a treaty about uh, uh, Isaac not coming against him. And so he made this treaty, and, uh, and in verse 32 of, of chapter 26, it said, It came to pass that the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well which they had dug, and he said to them, We have found water. And it goes ahead and says that he named that one Sheba, and it later became known as Bathsheba, and, uh, and it means the oath had taken place. And you say, what's all I got to do? Just follow me, okay? Just, just go with me. Uh, I'll tell you this way. You know, I know a lot of things, but this is my message, and I'll preach it. But, when a, but here's, here's the thing about it. When a well was good, and it produced a lot of water, a lot of times they would build a city around that one, and it, and, uh, it would take the name of the well, the city would. So uh, this last one he dug here, uh, and he called it Sheba, meaning the oath. Then the the uh, uh, the town of Bathsheba in the, at Old Testament days uh, came about because of that. Now, one thing that we got to realize is a well was a means of refreshing and a means of sustaining life. Wells were very important. They fought wars over wells. I mean, and and it was so important that a lot of times the enemy would come in even during the night and take rocks and fill the wells up and then run off. So it was, it was an important thing, and it, it, was, a, it was a means of, of refreshing. They would come to the well. That's what David was getting at back in our original text, was the refreshing from this well, and we'll get back to that in a minute. But it also meant a sustaining of life. When uh, Abraham had come to point after... Ishmael was born, and after Isaac was born, and Sarah didn't think it was good for Ishmael uh, to be around her son. He was just a bad influence. And really, if you study that in the Bible, he was a bad influence on Isaac. So she wanted him to leave, and Abraham didn't want him to leave because he was Abraham's firstborn, but he wasn't a child of promise. So he prayed, and God told him, said, listen to your wife. You know... Uh, out of all the times in the Bible, there's very few times that a man was ever told to listen to his wife. But uh, sometimes women speak a lot of good wisdom, men, and we need to be ready to listen. <laughs> you know, not a man said amen then. <laughs> and, but here's the thing about it. Sometimes they speak wisdom. Men do all the time. <laughs> Uh, so Abraham told her, said, you're going to have to leave. So she took, this is found in Genesis chapter 21, by the way. Uh, she took, uh, he took a skin of water, gave it to her, and sent her out. Now, I don't know where he thought she was going to get with that skin of water, but they went out in the desert wandering around. And so they run out of water. And so she took the child. He was thirsty, hot, thirsty. You know, a grown person can do without water longer than a child can and not complain. And so she took him and put him under a tree, and she went off a distance from him 
because she said, I don't want to see him die. And there, as she sat in that distance from him, the Bible calls it a bow shot, and as he, she sat in that distance from him, the, she cried out, and God heard her. And God told her that that boy wasn't going to die because he had plans for him. He had promised him and given him an oath that he would be a mighty nation. So then her eyes was open, and she saw a well, and she went and got water, gave it to the boy, and he revived, and they lived in that area for a long time. And that that well was called, uh, on down a couple of verses later, at least one more, uh, she named that well, and, and it's important that verse 19, I want to, yeah. Maybe it's verse 20. Anyway, whatever she named the well later on when Isaac was, was first saw Rebecca, he was coming from this well. And what this well means, what this thing means is that it's a, 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 a giver of life. A giver of life. So that's, that's the way that, that, that this came about. So a well means refreshing. It means sustaining in life. Now that little history about wells, which is not complete, I want to go back to the well in Bethlehem. The one by the gate that David talked about, okay? See, this was a special well to David. Uh, it held a lot of special meaning to him. No doubt, as a boy, as he would go in and out of the little city of Bethlehem, which was just a couple of miles from Jerusalem. As he would go in and out, he'd drink from this well. Those were public wells in those days, and they had public dippers, okay? And I don't know, that wouldn't work nowadays, would it? I mean, we don't want to drink out of a water fountain after somebody has drank out of it, right? And we always drink out of a straw when we go in a restaurant especially because we don't know who's touched that glass or that cup. And those, But in those days, they had community wells, they had community baths, they had community dippers that they would drink out of. And uh, so... David probably drank out of this well many times. No doubt many times he watered his sheep from this same well. And as he stood here thinking about this well, no doubt pleasant memories of a more pleasant time in his life began to come forth. And he thought about things when he was a boy. Now think about this. At this point in time, David's somewhere around 27, 28 years old, because I believe this was after David had become king and before he went in and took Jerusalem, because if you read in other parts of the Old Testament, you'll find that where David had to battle the Philistines early and being king over, over uh, Judah before he was made complete king over all of Israel. And so David was in this stronghold of Adullam. David was used to this place. You remember one time when he was first running from Saul, he went up to the Philistines and the Philistines figured out who he was. He had that crazy. And he left and he came to this cave of Adullam. And there came to him out of all of Israel those that were in debt, those that were distressed, and those that were discontent. And all of his, I mean, this is the way all the people were, came to him at the cave of Adullam. He had to teach them. He had to help them learn the things of God. He had to help them learn how to be an army, how to fight. Uh, David, I believe, trained many of these mighty men that he talks about personally, hand-trained these guys and showed them how to use a sword, showed them how to use a, a sling with a stone and, and how to 
to be brave and not run in the face of battle, but to trust God. He, he was able to show them all of this. So David had come back to this cave of Adullam again, getting ready to set the uh, uh, to go in and take his kingship like it needed to be. And so he's here at the cave of Adullam, and I want you to think about here at this cave for a moment. It's in the harvest time. It said that when these three that that did this deed came in, and in those days in the harvest time, it was always dry weather. Now, no doubt there were cisterns of water in and around that cave of Adullam area, but by now, because it was dry weather, they had begun to get maybe a little stagnant, a little bit mosquito-infested or something like that. And as David stood at this cave entrance, he just, he just said, Man, I tell you what, I think back to a happier time, a happier day, before all of this, a time when it was less harried. Anybody remember those days when it was less harried huh? and less pressured? It seemed like, you know, I, I, I've been told this lie all my life that when you get older you don't have to hurry and you're not under as much pressure. Somehow or another, I don't know what older is yet then, evidently, because uh, some I, I, I can't figure out how to slow down. And I think back to a day in my life. I think back, uh, you know, to, to a more pleasant time, a less hurried, a less pressured time. I, I think back... To a time, and, and I want you to follow this with me, what I'm fixing to say, when serving God was more enjoyable for a lot of people than what it is now. And I'm going to tell you this. Even among all the hustle and bustle, the hurriedness, the pressure, and everything like that, I find more joy today than I ever have in serving my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He's just more real to me than He's ever been. That don't mean He's never not been real. He, it's just me, Okay? And I thank God for that. But I think back to a time when, when, we, when we were not on the run. You remember those days, don't you, Ron? I, I know Ron, worked, he worked and he worked hard. I remember when they had the store. He'd work and come and work at the store. He'd go work at the store and go to work. And, and, and he just run hard. And he's always worked hard and worked hard. And, and I can remember back to a day when Daddy made me work hard, but I didn't have the pressure on me, okay? I can remember when, you know, back to a time and, and going with my daddy to church. And he traveled all over North Alabama and over into Georgia and Mississippi. I remember one time that he pastored four churches. Well, let me rephrase that. He preached at four churches at one time. Four churches called him pastor. But folks, let me tell you something. When you work a full-time job and you got six children and you got to preach at a different church every Sunday, there ain't much pastoring time involved in that. A lot of preaching time. And Daddy did it. He was faithful to the call that God had put on him. I remember uh, back in the 60s when he would go to Bremen, Georgia, or Cedartown, Georgia, rather, two Sundays a month, or two weekends a month. He'd leave on Saturday morning, drive over, then have church on Sunday afternoon, I mean Saturday afternoon and Saturday night and Sunday morning, and he'd come back home on Sunday afternoon, get up, go to work. He'd drive from, from over at Holly Pond. He'd drive sometimes to to Scottsboro to work and back and forth every day or down below Birmingham to work. And, and I remember another time that he would travel four hours to Hernando, Mississippi. He'd do that and go over and they'd have church the same way. They'd have it Saturday afternoon, Saturday night, and Sunday morning. He did that two weekends a month. But you know, I, and, I, and I think back to that time, I'd go with him. Most of those times I'd go with him. And I really enjoyed it. Why? Because it wasn't hurried to me. 
It wasn't pressured to me, but it was to him. And I think back about those days. I think back about times whenever we'd come to church and, 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 and it wasn't just hurry up and get through. We got to get to the restaurant. You know, today's Father's Day. If we don't hurry, then all the food's going to be gone. Well, I promise you we'll be out in time for, for Father to be took care of today, okay? If not, get it and bring it home and warm it up. Uh, yeah. So, so anyhow, David, David had this when serving God. He had a flashback. The flashback caused him to reflect on many things and many pleasant memories. Think about home. Think about family. I believe David would probably look back and think about when he'd go hunting with his older brothers, maybe, you see. Or, or maybe one of those brothers even taught him how to throw a sling. Maybe one of them even taught him uh, the first notes on the harp. I don't know. But David, was he, he enjoyed his home. He enjoyed his family. He thought about pleasant nights out on the hillside with his sheep and out looking at the stars. And many of the psalms that he wrote was written in those times. A time when he was the hunter, when he hunted the bear and the lion instead of being the hunted like he was for so many years when Saul was after him. So let's bring this a little bit for David longed. I want you to get a hold of that. He longed for this water. He had a desire for this water. This has a spiritual implication, and this is where I want us to begin to turn our focus to this morning. He had, this has a spiritual implication that we need to see. See, in Psalms 42, verse 1, David talked about uh, uh, thirsting. See, it long means to covet, to desire, to crave for. Psalms 42, verse 1 says, As a deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? So he, this longing caused a thirst in him. Not just for a, a drink of water from there, but a, but a fellowship with God. Folks, let me tell you, so many of us, we've got to a point in time too busy and stagnant in what's going on. Maybe sometimes even our well is empty. You know what a, a well that does not have water in it is? It's a pit. And you remember Joseph ended up in a pit, didn't he? And so, so when there's no, and it says there was no water in that pit. You go back and read it back over in Genesis 30 something. And it says that there was no water in that pit. So a well that does not have water in it, it's just a pit. And there's so many people today that's in a pit. It's dry, dusty. They're thirsty. They want something. And, and they don't really know how to get it. And David said, oh, I wish somebody would just go and give me some water from that well by the gate in Bethlehem. Listen, folks, when we desire, then I can promise you this, that the Holy Spirit will bring us a drink of the water that we need in our life. Can you believe that? Psalm 63, he says, O God, You are my God. Early will I seek You. My soul thirsts for You. My flesh longs for You in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So, so, and he says, So have I looked for You in the sanctuary to see Your power and Your glory because Your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. Thus will I bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with fatness, and, and, my mouth shall, and my mouth shall praise you with youthful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches, because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul follows behind, close behind you. 
your right hand upholds me. I want to ask you this question this morning. How long has it been since you felt the joy that you had when you first got saved? How long has it been since you felt the joy of the last time that you had an experience with the Lord and, and you, just, you just tried to live on that? But folks, let me tell you something. We're, we're told in the Bible that we're changed from glory to glory. We move. Our Christian life is a life of moving. It's not a place to where we need to get stagnant. And so here the psalmist says, Lord, I long for you. I long to just be in your courts. I long to be in your presence. Lord, I long to drink of the water of the fellowship that only you can give. So I'm going to praise you, Lord. You know, sometimes we, we have to do that. Sometimes we have to dig a little well. And praise and worship will begin to dig a well. Because every time you begin to praise God, it's just like taking a shovel and throwing out another shovel full of dirt. And after a while, you, you may keep on going and it seems dry and you're hot and you're sweaty like you would have been yesterday for sure if you'd have been out digging or today even. And so you dig, and, and, and but after a while, there's a stream that bursts through and you feel that down in here. And that stream begins to flow. And that stream begins to, to encourage you and bubble up in your life. And, and, and you begin again to sense the joy of the Lord that, that you once knew in your life. As you, <coughs> he said, I, I will lift up my hands. Thus will I praise you. I will bless you. I will honor you. I will magnify you, O Lord. I believe that there's a lot of people in the, in the world today that are dealing with depression simply because they got down and out. They came into a dry land. They came into a dry time in their walk, in their life. And, and, and they could come out of that. Folks, let me tell you something. Medication will not bring you out of depression. It will help you deal with it. But praising God and believing Him and walking with Him will indeed bring you out of depression. If you don't believe that, you get Bobby sometime, not right now, but get Bobby sometime to share with you how that she came out of depression. And it was through praising God, and it was through taking her place as a child of God and walking with that, that she came out of depression. I'm going to tell you, there's times that, that I get the feeling a, a depressive, oppressive, depressive spirit come on my life. And I've learned over the years that whenever I just start praising the Lord, I don't have to do it out loud. I don't even, I just start praising the Lord. Sometimes I put on a little praise and worship music and I'll begin to listen to that and I can sense the, the breakthrough. I can sense the stream beginning to break through into that well. And sometimes, let me tell you, it don't take long sometimes either till that stream will begin to break forth and folks, it'll spring up a well of living water into my life. And, and, it's, and, and so we need to realize that that. In Isaiah chapter 12, uh, chapter 3 rather, chapter 12, I get it right. Oh, thank you, Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 12, verses 1 through 6, I like this, this one. You'd think that this was in the Psalms. Listen to what he said. And in that day you will say, now, this is a prophetic psalm. Let me set this right, okay? It's a prophetic psalm about what Israel will do once they, the millennial kingdom has been set up and they begin to recognize Jesus as Lord and King. They'll see Him for who He is. But also, there's spiritual implications to this now for you and I because you and I are now in the kingdom of God. We're in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So in that day, here... In this spiritual sense we're talking about means in 
this day. In this day. Listen to what he said. And in this day you will say, you will say, O Lord, I will praise you. Wow. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For yea, the Lord is my strength. Yah, the Lord, that Yah is Yahweh. The Lord is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore with joy. Everybody say with joy. Will you draw water from the wells of salvation? And that day you will say, praise the Lord and call upon His name. Declare His deeds among the people. Make mention that His name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for He has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, O inhabitants of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. The wells of salvation. Actually, it's talking here about a fountain. The Hebrew word speaks about a fountain. And it talks about uh, fountains of, of water. And in another place in Ezekiel, it says, In that day fountains shall open up in the house of God and flow forth. So here we're talking about a fountain that supplies other wells. A fountain that springs up, maybe, maybe like a, an artesian well kind of thing, that'll, that'll come up and it'll run off and other wells are formed uh, because of that. And, and so I thought about these other wells. Wells, it says wells here. I thought about the well of rededication. How that... Every one of us, after salvation, we came to a point down the road when it seemed like we wasn't going anywhere and we rededicated our life to God. And there's some folks that's rededicated till the rededicator's worn out, okay? <laughs> Sometimes I feel like that's me. <coughs> some little something come on, I rededicate, Lord, I rededicate. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm talking about think back. Think back about that time when you, after you got saved and you was going on, you're serving God, and all of a sudden you hit the wall and you and you went down and you thought, Oh, Lord, what am I going to do now? And then you came back to the Lord and you said, Lord, I come to you. Fill me, use me, renew me. And, and all the joy of the Lord that was there at that time. Do you remember that? And then commitment, the well of commitment. A lot of people make commitments. Sometimes out of emotion. Sometimes because it sounds good. But they don't make that commitment so many times because they know it's the right thing to do. It just sounds good. Well, sometimes a sound good thing is something that's good to do, but it may not be what I need to do. Okay? I've sat in mission conferences. And I'd hear these missionaries talking about Mexico and Cuba and South America and and Israel. And uh, there was a a missions conference I went to over at Speak last year, and there was people there from a school uh, in, uh, in, in Hebron and another one in Bethlehem. And they were talking about people going there, you know, feeling led. And I thought, boy, that'd be something to live over there and teach in that school. And, and they, they teach English stuff, okay, and Bible stuff. And I thought, boy, that'd be something to be over there and live over there and be in that school. And But you know what? I could, on the emotion of that, I could have jumped up and, and said, I'll go. And I fell flat on my face. Because there wasn't no leadership of the Lord in me. There was just some excitement about that being there. So, so, so many times we make a commitment out of an emotion. 
And I, I know there's emotion involved in this thing, but, but commitments that we make, we need to make them because we know that it's the right thing for us to do. A lot of people, even making commitments and it being the right thing for them to do, go down the road and after a while they begin to drift away from that commitment and other things get so easy to be in there. Can I tell you, I'm a person speaking from experience. Then there's a commitment of obedience. Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. You remember those kind of things that a lot of people did when they get saved? Oh, God. I'll do, if you'll just hear my prayer this time, I'll do anything you want me to do. I can see God said, okay, I want you to go next door and talk to your neighbor about salvation. Well, uh, you know. (laughs) We falter a lot of times in our obedience, not just in things like that, but in so many other things. We know that that we need to obey Him when He said that we need to pray all the time, and we let that go. We know that we need to obey Him when He says to love one another's, I have loved you, and we tend to let that go. But oh, it sounds good whenever we say, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Lord, just tell me what you want me to do, and I'll do that. I've done that before, and was, and I had to repent. I had to repent. Because it's not always... See, you, you didn't... Uh, when you did these things, you're tired of just going through the motions. I believe there's some of you this morning that's tired of just going through the motions. You've lost your enthusiasm. Lost your joy. Your enthusiasm. I know years ago when I worked at that furniture plant up at Vinemont, uh, one of the guys that was one of the owners of that place up there, he, uh, we'd, we'd work, man, it'd get to be 8 or 9 o'clock at night and, Bud had come in and he'd say, well, I tell you what, guys, I know I need to do a bunch more, but I've lost my enthusiasm. Well, it's easy to lose your enthusiasm when you've done been there 12 or 14 hours, right? We get the same way about serving God. So many lost their enthusiasm. I was actually the message I was going to preach today, and the Lord put this on. I may preach it at some point, yet I'm not going to right now, I don't believe. But I am going to tell you what it was. The title of the message I was going to preach today was The High Cost of Low Enthusiasm. Because we lose that enthusiasm. And when we lose that enthusiasm, we get lazy. We get lethargic. We get critical. And we need to watch that. Folks, there's joy. I think about David bringing that ark. And they came back into Jerusalem. And when he, when he finally got this thing figured out how to do it right, can you, can you picture this? David, in front of that ark, had his kingly stuff on. Take six steps. One, two, three, four, five, six. Boy, I didn't measure that out right, did I? And he'd say, build an altar, kill an ox, and give an offering. And they would, and he would just dance before the Lord. Go six more steps. Build an altar, kill an ox. And they'd do that. They did that all the way into Jerusalem to the place where David wanted it. In David's tabernacle, it's called. And David just danced. He enjoyed the Lord. His enthusiasm was running so great and so high that he just could not help himself. 
Well, he went home to greet his family, and boy, he, he was bringing that joy home. And the first person that he saw when he got to the house, walked in the door, was Miss Killjoy. I mean, before he could get a word out of his mouth, his wife, Michael, said to him, said, You think you're something, don't you? Out there dancing around, undressed, you pulled off your kingly garment, and, and it's like you're naked because you're just wearing peasant clothes out there. You think you something. David said, I wasn't dancing for you. I was dancing for the Lord. And he said, if you think I've acted weird up till now, you just wait till I get back down there. <laughs> but listen, because there was no joy in Michael, because that she would not allow the joy of the Lord to flow into her, the Word of God says the rest of her life she was barren. And there's people that are barren spiritually today because they lost their enthusiasm, they got lazy, they got critical, and they want to criticize the people that's got... They want to call people that does anything the Lord and shows it much fanatics. Well, you know, there's two kinds of fanatics. There's a sports fanatic, and that's the one that we look back, boy, they are really into it, aren't they? Look at them go. And then there's a Christian fanatic that we, you know, and, and you know what a Christian fanatic is that somebody loves Jesus more than you do. Their enthusiasm. When a whale has no water, it's a pit. Get out of the pit today. Dig a whale with some water in it. Where do we get that? Well, there was a man that came to this earth that was born in Bethlehem of Judea, just like David was. David was a few thousand years before. But this man came and was born in Bethlehem. Came out of Bethlehem. No doubt he walked many times right through that same gate that David did as he was a young man growing up. Probably drank out of the same well of water. Probably there and even... His disciples, I'm talking about Jesus, you know. Later on, they all they would go in and out of Bethlehem and they would pass by this well and drink by this water. And then one day they came to another well over just up the road a little ways in Samaria called Jacob's Well, a well that Jacob had dug. And there he met a Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. You can read this story. He met the Samaritan woman that had come to the well to draw water. Folks, what you need from God this morning, you're not going to get it through natural means out of some natural well. Or unnatural. way <laughs> where you want to look at it. It's not going to come that way. Jesus said, give me a drink of water. And she said, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. Jews don't ask Samaritans to give them water and Samaritans don't give Jews water. You're a man, I'm a woman. That don't work either. You're not even supposed to be talking to me. And Jesus made this statement to her. If you knew, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked Him and He would have given you living water. Jesus, the well, the well of living water, 
And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where then do we get the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Natural things. Pleasures. Things of that nature. And there's a lot of things natural, a lot of things in the realm of pleasures that is not wrong for us to do, okay? Not, thank God it's not. Thank God it's not wrong to go to a softball game, okay? But that's not where I get my spiritual strength from. That's not what I'm looking to to get me through this life. But whoever drinks the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Isn't it good? And the woman said to him, this should be our cry this morning. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. In other words, Lord, give me this water so I don't go looking for anything else. Give me this water so I don't go out hungering and thirsting and seeking at men and, and, and money and, and things of this nature. And this woman had a rough past. But she got her drink that morning. Jesus gave her a drink. She found the satisfaction that she had needed in life and, and run in that satisfaction. Went back to town and said, y'all got to come out here drink some of this water. That's not the way she said it. That's the MDC paraphrase, okay? You've got to drink some of this water. These men brought that water back to David, but instead of drinking it, he poured it out before God and before them. One final thing to this this morning. Unless a well is producing and it's been taken out of, it becomes stagnant. What we have in us today, we need to pour it out before the world. What we have today, we need to pour it out and surrender it completely to God and before the world and let them see Jesus in our lives. There's a whole, lot, a whole other sermon in that when they got back with the water. Maybe one day the Lord led us to do that. But I want to encourage you this morning. If you feel stagnant, if you feel like there's nothing flowing and moving in your life today, I want you to come back to the well. I want you to come back to Jesus. I remember a song a few years ago. It says, I have returned to the God of my childhood. Bethlehem's babe, the prophet's Messiah. He's Jesus to me, eternal deity. There's a modern song. It says, I want to go back to Jesus loves me, this I know. It's talking about a simpler time. A time when all the confusion of life was laid down and the peace of God came in. That's for you this morning. Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly in the spirit. Come, my yoke is easy and my burdens light. If you're just going through a religious routine, you need a fresh drink of water today.